You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello all, Eric Rivenis with the Most Notorious Podcast here. Each week I interview an author or historian about a historical true crime, tragedy, or disaster. Subject matter ranges from gunslingers to Gilded Age murder to gangsters to fires to pirates to wild prison breaks. My guests bring their incredible knowledge directly to you. Please subscribe to Most Notorious on your favorite podcast app. Cheers, and have a safe tomorrow. On July 23rd, 2011, British singer Amy Winehouse was found dead inside her London home. Just 27 years old, she joined the tragic club of other music icons like Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, and Kurt Cobain, who had died tragically at that same young age. To some, Winehouse's death seemed like a terrible yet predictable end to a long, public downfall. Right in front of the world's eyes, Winehouse's frame had grown skeletal and her behavior erratic. Rumors swirled about her drug addiction, her heavy drinking, and her volatile relationship with her then ex-husband, Blake Fielder Civil. But the haze of her personal demons never entirely obscured a bright truth. Winehouse had incredible talent. At the age of 19, she signed her first record deal, and by the time she was 24, she'd won five Grammy Awards, including Best Album for her 2006 record, Back to Black. Fans fell in love with her honest, vulnerable lyrics, her husky voice, and her determination to be herself, both on stage and off. Yet, no one could stop the personal downfall they could see unfolding right before their eyes, not Winehouse's fans, her family, or her friends. What happened? How did such a promising star fall from grace and into the annals of history as yet another brilliant artist who died far too young? This is the story of Amy Winehouse's tragic death and the downward spiral that preceded it. You are listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All That's Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past. I'm All That's Interesting staff writer Kalina Fraga. Today, we're going back to 2011 and the shocking death of British singer Amy Winehouse. For Amy Winehouse, music and pain were intertwined from the beginning. Her childhood home was filled with music, classic crooners like Frank Sinatra and blues greats like Diana Williams, but also with heartbreak. When Winehouse was just nine, her father Mitch left the family to marry his co-worker, with whom he carried on a years-long affair. Mitch Winehouse believes that his infidelity ruined Winehouse's childhood and pushed her to express herself through music. He said she couldn't articulate what was wrong in words, but she certainly did with her music. Indeed, Winehouse started to creatively express herself after he left the family. She started a rap group called Sweet and Sour and applied to the Sylvia Young Theater School where her application showed her determination and indomitable spirit even at a young age. I want to go somewhere where I'm stretched right to my limits and perhaps even beyond, Winehouse wrote, to sing in lessons without being told to shut up. But mostly, I have this dream to be very famous, to work on stage, 
It's a lifelong ambition. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles for five minutes. Likewise, Winehouse showed an early propensity to do her own thing. She was accepted at Sylvia Young, but expelled a few years later for not applying herself and for piercing her nose. She was always very self-willed, Mitch Winehouse told Rolling Stone in 2007. Not badly behaved, but different. Even as a girl, Winehouse was blazing her own path, a path that would soon lead to superstardom. When she was just 19, she signed her first record deal. That same year, 2003, she released her first album, Frank, which was a smash hit in the United Kingdom and put Winehouse on the map as an artist to watch. But as her star rose, Winehouse met a man whose love both inspired her greatest music and helped center on an irrevocable spiral towards tragedy. Sometime in 2005, Amy Winehouse met Blake Fielder Civil in a London bar. Their whirlwind love affair, Fielder Civil had a girlfriend when they met and later left Winehouse to reconcile with his ex, prompted Winehouse to write some of her sharpest and most vulnerable lyrics. The story of her heartbreak came spilling out in her 2006 album Back to Black. This record went where her debut album hadn't, all the way to the top of the British charts. By 2007, it was certified double platinum and earned Winehouse six Grammy nominations, including Record of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best New Artist. Rolling Stone raved that Winehouse is a nervy, witty songstress whom indie rockers, pop fans, and hip hoppers can dig. She had gone from a girl who dreamt of being famous to one of the world's hottest and most admired new artists. But that wasn't the only thing that had changed in Winehouse's life. Her relationship with Fielder Civil had changed her too. It remained turbulent, but Fielder Civil had returned to her side. In 2007, they eloped to Florida and got married. According to Winehouse's first manager, Nick Godwin, Amy changed overnight after she met Blake. She just sounded completely different. Her personality became more distant, and it seemed to me like that was down to the drugs. By his own admission, Fielder Civil introduced Winehouse to crack cocaine and heroin. Amy took to heroin like a duck to water, same as me, he said in 2009, shortly before they got divorced. Indeed, the sparkle of Amy Winehouse's platinum record couldn't compete with the new darkness that surrounded her. Before long, she was making headlines, not because of her music, but because of her personal demons. In June 2007, Winehouse carved I Love Blake into her stomach during a magazine shoot. That December, she was photographed wandering around London barefoot and wearing only a bra. And by the time the 2008 Grammys rolled around that February, Winehouse couldn't attend in person. The US hadn't approved her visa in time because of her ongoing drug problems. A widely circulated video in January 2008 showed her smoking crack and Winehouse, in defiance of the famous refrain of her smash hit, Rehab, entered a drug treatment program. But she later told a Rolling Stone reporter that she did drugs the entire time. Nevertheless, Winehouse won big at the Grammys, winning five of six of her nominations. She accepted the awards via satellite. 
It was a tremendous achievement, especially for someone so young, but Amy Winehouse struggled to feel anything at all. As she told a friend, this is so boring without drugs. Even then, the world could see Winehouse falling apart before its eyes. She had become deathly thin. She had scars on her arms and scabs on her face. But though the evidence of Winehouse's personal demons was plain to see, what happened next nevertheless shocked the world in ways that still resonate to this day. Even after Amy Winehouse wowed the music world at the Grammys, she quickly fell too far to ever rise back up again. She canceled show after show. Although Winehouse had stopped doing drugs, she said that she woke up one day and decided she didn't want to do them anymore. She became increasingly reliant on alcohol. Still, Winehouse hoped for a comeback. By the end of 2010, a source told MTV that Winehouse was determined to rewrite her legacy. This is the strongest Amy has felt in a very long time, the source explained. She is determined to go down in history as a world-class performer, not someone who ruined a spectacular talent through drugs. Although Winehouse continued to struggle with alcohol, she and her team began to plot her comeback. They designed a 12-day European tour that would start in Belgrade, Serbia on June 18, 2011. It was a complete disaster. From the moment Winehouse wandered on stage, it was clear that something was off. She couldn't remember the words to her songs. She missed her cues and sat in silence as her backup singers went on. As the crowd of 20,000 booed, drowning her out, Winehouse threw her shoe at them. And the entire train wreck went viral. Winehouse's team quickly spirited her back to London. Her spokesperson said, Everyone involved wishes to do everything they can to help her return to her best and she will be given as long as it takes for this to happen. But Winehouse's life was careening out of control and it was too late to hit the brakes. In June and July, she did briefly stop drinking, but then started right back up again. Winehouse said that she really wanted to stop drinking, but she couldn't bring herself to do it. Yet the end came, as it often does, not with a bang, but with a whimper. On the night of July 22nd, Winehouse and her bodyguard, Andrew Morris, stayed up late watching YouTube videos. She got tipsy, he recalled, but seemed okay. He checked on her in the morning, but didn't wake her up. And when he returned several hours later, he found that she hadn't moved an inch. He immediately tried to wake her, but she wouldn't move. The paramedics arrived at about 4pm and pronounced her dead at the scene. There were several empty bottles of vodka scattered around her and tests later showed that her blood alcohol level was five times the legal driving limit, more than enough to fatally poison her. She was just 27 years old. Although Amy Winehouse's death was shocking, many acknowledged a glaring, uncomfortable truth Everyone had seen it coming. As one fan said, we saw her deterioration every day, in every picture. It was like we were on a journey with her. So many people just wanted her to get better. Friends had tried to help. Courtney Love, whose own brush with the 27 Club is well documented, 
Her husband, Kurt Cobain, became a member in 1994, said that she tried twice to reach out. Other stars weighed in as well. Josh Groban wrote, Drugs took her gift, her soul, her light, long before they took her life, R.A.P. Amy. And Lily Allen called Winehouse such a lost soul. But there remained lingering guilt. As one of Winehouse's friends put it, Yes, she did this to herself. Yes, she was self-destructive. But she was a victim, too. We all have to take a bit of responsibility, us, the public, the paparazzi. She was a star, but I want people to remember that she was also just a girl. She was just a girl who wanted to sing, who wanted to be famous. Instead, the world watched in relative silence as she sank into the murk and vanished, leaving behind only the glitter of her talent and painful questions about the life she never got to truly live. Thanks for listening to History Uncovered. I'm History Uncovered's producer, Kit Westneat. If you like the show, help others find us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And be sure to follow the All That's Interesting and History Revealed pages on Facebook and Real History Uncovered on Instagram. Make sure you don't miss out on the new episodes and subscribe to the History Uncovered podcast. And keep up with our latest stories at allthatsinteresting.com. If you have a question about the show or just want to say hi, feel free to call us at 929-526-3029 or email us at podcasts at allthatsinteresting.com. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Legends of the Old West and Redacted History. Until next time, keep exploring. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.